I was sent on a tour to regional Western Australia with an Aboriginal lady called Manya Andrews. She was an author as well. And she said to me, Sally, you're too disciplined. You've had a life of too much discipline. And what happens when you do that is that you lose your creativity. We're all born with a certain amount of creativity, but our modern life absolutely kills all our creativity. And it's like a muscle that you've had to build, Sally. You've been given creativity like a muscle. You've forgotten to work on it. Welcome to So What's Next, the podcast sharing inspiring stories from Australian athletes. I'm Jamie Nobbs, a former Australian figure skater, and I'm excited to share this episode with you. On this episode, I would like to welcome Sally Carbon. Sally is a two-time Olympian competing in field hockey, placing fifth at the 1992 Barcelona Olympics and a gold medalist at the 1988 Seoul Olympics. Sally also won gold and silver at two World Cups and has represented Australia in over 125 games. To add to her incredible achievements, Sally has an Order of Australia medal for her services to sport and has written nine books. And we haven't even looked at her business achievements yet. First, Sally is a director of her own business, Green 11. She's been an Australian sports commissioner, a director of the Australian Sports Foundation, chairing the Finance, Audit and Risk Committee. Sally is also currently sitting as a director of the St. John Ambulance and Apollo Health and serves on the UWA Advisory Board, is the chair of a private insurance firm, Honan Insurance, WA, and sits on the international board of this company as well. And to top it off, she is also a fellow of the Australian Institute of Company Directors. So Sally has a lot of achievements under her belt and I am so excited to welcome her to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm very excited to have you on the podcast. I know. It's really lovely actually speaking to a whole pile of different people about the journey you've been through and the things that you can share. So I wanted to get started with just understanding a little bit about your childhood. How did you actually get into hockey? My mum played hockey, so myself and my sister were running around on the sidelines from a young age. And of course, when someone doesn't turn up, you play in the team with, you know, 40-year-old women as eight, nine, ten-year-olds. So that's happened to all of us at various times. And you do tend to follow the family pathway. But I was a pretty good swimmer. I was a track and field athlete, represented West Australia at nationals for athletics and played tennis, did all the things. I was also in the Australian ballet, in the pathway system. I was asked to move to Germany as a gymnast, so yep, I'd have to say I was a really sporty kid. What about the story in Germany? How did that come about, becoming a gymnast that got asked to go and compete in Germany? Yeah, well remember this is, you know, I'm 53 now, so this is going way back in history of sport when East Germany was really rising to the top as a sporting nation, and they travelled the world and headhunted athletes. And they came through Australia and they plucked me out and asked my parents if I would be basically taken to East Germany as a budding gymnast. And of course, the parents from Perth, Western Australia said no. <laughs> so that was the end of my gymnastics days. But that didn't matter. There's you know plenty of other sports out there and ones that you could actually represent your own country in Australia. I think I saw somewhere that you got into ballet as well. How did that stem? Was that just off the back of gymnastics? No, see, I didn't ever really do gymnastics, but I was a full-on ballet dancer and that's how I sort of picked up as a potential gymnast. So it was sort of the other way around. But yep, I was, a you know, like a lot of young girls, 
probably not hockey players, those two things don't really go together. No. But I was a, a dancer and really serious, you know, in the WA young ballet pathway and then sort of got headhunted to go to move to Sydney in the Australian pathway. And I got to the age of 13 and that's when I had to make the decision because a ballet dancer's body was one type and a hockey player's body was the other. And you're getting to the stage when a female body was developing and you sort of had to pick one to develop that body type only. And it wasn't really a mental or a time thing because you can do whatever you want as far as time goes because it's just effort, but it was really the body type that I had to choose. Why did you pick hockey? What was it about hockey? Was it the body type that you were like, this is better suited to me or was it just something you were more passionate about? No, I loved both. I'd actually say that ballet was just as athletic as hockey was or some of the other big sports. So that was really enticing, the athleticism in ballet, but I was lured to the team. There's no doubt about the the team factor from hockey right from day one of getting into it to now at 53 where our hockey team is still as tight as anything it's the team that dragged me and made me eventually choose the sport of hockey above the others. For those who are who aren't aware my my mum Lee Capes and my auntie Michelle Hagar were actually in your team. Teammates through thick and thin we are. Tell me about the team was it a tight knit all the way through like juniors to seniors or was it how did it develop was it from yeah, day we, one? Yeah we had an interesting era in that the West Australian team was probably 70% of the Australian team so yes we were a young age group of young female athletes growing you know growing as people together in the West Australian team flooding the Australian team so much so that both myself and Rachel Hawkes actually got in the Australian squad before we could get a spot in the West Australian team which is a really interesting <laughs> mathematical equation but that's simply because the West Australian team was so strong with hockey players who were on their way to the Olympics and then also on their way back. So it was hard to work out that balance of whether you put the young ones in or not. So we basically grew up together and still speak to each other through our various apps around the world um, these days and try and get together once a year or at milestone dates as well. How many years were you actually in the sport for? So I played for Australia for nine years, for West Australia for 12 years. I played state league up until the age of 40 and state league here in Western Australia is obviously very strong. I played basically all my life, played hockey from a young age through to the age of 40, but I have not played one single game at all since. So in 13 years, I haven't picked up a hockey stick and played. Why is that? The body, hockey is a really hard sport on your body and when you've you know ground it out to the amount of games that we all played, my body's no good for hockey anymore and interestingly enough, after playing state league till the age of 40, I went back to ballet. Yeah, so really? I, at the same time of popping out three kids, <laughs> I, I um, did ballet up until probably four or five years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's really cool. Turned the full circle, I did. Yeah. Yeah. Is it something you want to, up until three or four years ago, is it something you've stopped now? Yes. I put a lot of effort into work and the kids in the last four or five years, but I'm just starting to get back into physical activity again now. But the body's pretty ruined, I'll have to admit. (laughs) (laughs) Done a good job on it. (laughs) When you look back at your time as an athlete, what are some of the highlights for you as a, from a personal perspective and then also from like a competition perspective? Yeah, well, you can judge your highlights on outcomes. So I was fortunate enough to go to two Olympics, two World Cups, both of those two things. We won golds and silvers at various times, five champions trophies, which we basically cleaned up at that time as the top six nations in the world. Also, West Australia, we won 10 out of 12 national titles for Western Australia. So if you sort of looked on the scoreboards, you know, 
myself and the team, we had a fantastic era. Yep. <laughs> you know, we collected some serious um, bling on the way through, Jamie. It was a pretty impressive era. But that's not what I judge success on. You know, that's great and you, know, you love it and it brings us all together and all the rest of it. But the success to me was more about how hard I learnt to put effort into something. So the training in particular, I was a very, very good trainer and that's something that I probably take as the most important success factor for me that I learned from a young age to be extremely dedicated and work very hard for something. Do you think that came off the back of the ballet in particular? Yes, it's yes. interesting, isn't it? Because ballet is very disciplined as well and it's you don't get financial rewards from it and it's all about being perfect and being brilliant and doing hours and hours and hours to perfect a skill. So I reckon it's definitely the ballet, but I'd have to say that's probably my personality type anyway. Yep. Yeah. Two, there's too. two things together. Yeah. Yes. How would you say that training changed when you actually moved into hockey? Would you say hockey is still about the precision or is it a little bit different? Yeah, it probably depends on your era. So through that era that myself and your mum and your auntie um, were involved in the Australian team, the coach, Brian Glencross, was very much into precision and he was also very much into discipline so, and I'm not talking about, you know, with a wooden stick sort of discipline, but just rote learning and continual practice of a particular drill, for instance. And so that discipline kept on going on the way through. But then a different coach, for instance, Rick Charlesworth, who took over towards the end of my career, that was completely different. And he instilled work ethic through creativity and self, self-empowerment and being transparent. So it was a very different philosophy to what Brian taught us. And, you know, it took quite a bit of transition to adjust to the two. But I think looking back in hindsight, I probably would have been better off having most of my time under Rick's tutelage as opposed to Brian's, because I think I would have grown more in that go away and be creative and be empowered as an athlete. Did you achieve everything you wanted to in hockey? Oh, gosh, no. Like, when you're um, into high performance, if you think you achieved everything, you're not a high performer. Like Most high performers would probably give themselves a 5 out of 10 for achieving anything in life because we're really hard on ourselves and that is as good a trait as it is a negative trait for us all. So you, you'd never meet a high performer who thinks they've done well. That's just a fact of life. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that then carries on into business oh, as well? Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're as hard on ourselves in business as we are and in relationships and you know, the way we walk and talk as we are as an athlete and that is why we were there as athletes. I think that's what makes a great athlete as well. Yeah. It leads nicely into my next question. As an athlete, how did you define success? And then now, how would you also define it? Yeah, well, defining success as an athlete, you um, the most important thing is that in my case, so looking back versus when you're in there at the time, looking back is a very different thing. So now, you know, 20 years past playing at that really senior level, I would sort of go, you know, good on you, Sally. You know, you, you did well and all the rest of it. But when you're in the thick of it, day in, day out, getting up, you're so hard on yourself. You don't deem yourself successful. And that is probably the biggest thing that I try and pass on to young athletes and that is to be kinder on yourself. Try and be kind and say, well done, enjoy the little successes or the rest of it and, and just relax in, into the mode that you're in. And you can't step off that platform of working hard and, and driving and being a high performer and all those skills and characteristics I talked about before 
but still just relax and, and be a bit kinder on yourself and you'll find that your performance is a little bit better because of it. Do you think it's a little bit more humbling having that team around you not recognising that success because everyone's in it together? And I'll sports? take that a step further and say it's even more humbling playing with your mum and your auntie because they're beauties. <laughs> they, like if anyone got in front of themselves, they were right jumping on us and um, that's super funny about it. But you certainly can't get in front of yourself as an athlete in a team environment because, you know, we're just such a daggy catch cry at the moment, but we're all in this together. In that environment, you are all in it together. You're competing against each other, but there's this beautiful poetry that you're also trying to get to the same place together. And it's quite a balance, that act of being competitors with each other to get in the team, but knowing that you're dragging your standards to the the ultimate best in the world at the same time. Do you see the same in business now? Oh, I think it's less together in business these days and we all teach each other to be more cooperative and collaborative and cohesive in the business world. But the fact of the matter is you can jump off the ship any day in business. You know, most people stay in their workforce for two and a half years these days. Whereas when you're on a journey to go to the Olympic Games, you're looking at four years, eight years, 12 years, you know, that's your sort of typical run at these things. And there's no other ship to get on. You're either on the ship to represent Australia to go to the Olympics or you're not. You you have to stay on that journey together. So you have to learn to be more cooperative over that long journey. But in business, you know, if you don't like it, you get off and hop on another ship and it's a little bit easier and consequently we're less cohesive. Makes sense. Mm. When you were an athlete, did you face any setbacks or was there any injuries? You talked about your body not being up to do ballet now. Mm. (laughs) Was there any setbacks along the way that you, um, you were faced with? Well, physically, I was very good. Like, you know, we started off this conversation saying, you know, that I had the physical ability to basically play any sport. So I was very lucky physically. I've had seven knee operations, four of which were during hockey times, three afterwards. But I'd have to say I had a really good run. Like I probably missed hardly any international competition or, you know, high-level competition because I was physically very able, but I'd have to say that I probably wasn't mentally as good as some of the other athletes. I was, you know, a 10 out of 10 for physical success and probably a 5 out of 10 for the the mental strength. And those two things, sometimes other athletes are, you know, the absolute opposite way around to to that scenario. So the biggest challenge to me was the mental challenge. Um, And I'd have to say it was probably that balance between the coach liking certain um, styles in the in the game and he was a defender by himself by trade so he was very much a defensive coach whereas myself and your your mum for instance very um, flair based creative attacking player which sort of was sort of came second in the coach's eyes so I think through that era that we played in that that particular time I didn't ever feel at peace with myself in the Australian team but in the West Australian team, wowee, I was unstoppable and in club competition as unstoppable because I felt more at peace in those environments under sort of a different style of coaching. That leads nicely into my next question. Mm. In terms of stress, how did you handle it as an athlete? Was it something that was like a, not a problem, but something that you were faced with often or did you handle stress pretty well? Yeah, well, this is sort of going back to being kind to yourself because the fact of the matter is it's a pressure cooker environment so no one handles the stress very well. So first thing to athletes, it's very stressful. You won't be brilliant at it. You'll be good at some parts of the stress and not good at other parts of the stress. In my case, I was very good at the physical demands of training 
getting up, doing it again. I never was toppled by the effort you had to put in, whereas other athletes probably couldn't got overtired by it or whatever the case is. So tick, I was really good at that. But on sort of five-week tours, for instance, come nighttime in the silence when you're in bed, I was probably a bit of a demon in my head. I would self-doubt and be quite critical of myself when you're in that silence when all you can do is listen to your own thoughts. So I'd have to say I wasn't very strong in that space. Do you think that's carried over into business? I'm very critical of myself and I now am old enough to know that that's both a good thing and a bad thing. And there's times when you have to say, yep, this is good, it's driving me harder and better and no, turn it off now, Sally, and go and do something that gets some fresh air or whatever the case is to, to snap out of the overthinking. I think it's a fine balance between oh, the yeah. two in business. And as I said, you've everyone's like it. So you know, don't think you're worse than anybody else. Everyone's got their good traits and not so good traits. Going back to like your training, you said that at home in your silence and stuff that you could be quite a demon to yourself. Did you have anything outside of hockey at the time? Were you studying? Were you doing any, I guess, extracurricular from your yeah. on top of your full time role? Well, back in that in these days, and you know, we're talking a long time ago, Jamie. In these days, you just had to do something else. It wasn't considered okay to be a full time athlete, even though we had the load of a full time athlete. So we studied full-time, absolutely full-time. We did the full load. So we'd get up, we'd you know, start training at the wee small hours, dark in the morning, finish about nine o'clock, go off and study through to four, come back and train through to sort of eight o'clock at night. And that was every day. So I studied physical education and mathematics at university at that time. And we worked as well because we were sort of living off $35 a week that you get from the government, for instance. So, you know, we had to earn money to pay for petrol to get to and from training. And I'm not saying we're going back to the old days where it was really bad, but that's just the way it was. You You just did everything and you didn't have those rests or anything like that. So that was fine. That was just what it was. And so, yes, I studied... And I consequently got three different degrees through that time. I did one, went on, did another one, got a scholarship to do another one. So I sort of put it down as a tick. It was, it was a good era. Yeah. How valuable do you think it is for athletes to get an education or do something outside of sport while they're training? Um, it's really important to do something else, but it doesn't have to be a degree. It doesn't have to be a job. It can be volunteering it can be knitting (laughs) you know it can be absolutely anything and I think we put a lot too much pressure on ourselves whilst we're being young athletes that to set ourselves up for a career after sport I, I don't actually agree with it I actually think that you should do something to stimulate your mind and your heart and your soul but it's not about setting yourself up for a career post sport and it's probably an unusual way of thinking because we have all these psychologists and welfare people looking after athletes these days and it's all about setting yourself up post-sport. But the fact of the matter is when you're out in the big wild world, you can go home from your work that day and say, I don't want this career anymore. And you can literally the next day change your career. You can do a 180 degree change in your career the next day. And it's the same as an athlete. You can. So relax, be very good at your sport, stimulate your mind and your heart and your soul through your sporting career give yourself the best opportunity for performance afterwards but relax and don't worry about the rest of your life so much when you're playing sport and and I think that's quite contradictory to what most people would say. I think it's a very interesting way of looking at it I think it it makes sense making sure that you're stimulated I like what you said about stimulating your heart mind and soul I think Mm. you said Mm. I think that's athletes probably don't want to or some athletes don't want to study full-time and compete full-time and train full-time 
that could be not for them. So what skills as an athlete do you think you actually acquired that helped you out later in setting up a business, being on different boards and committees? What skills do you think you acquired during that time? Yeah, well, effort, discipline, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're the first two things that jump to mind. But the fact that it doesn't matter if you get overtired. (laughs) Yeah. Because as an athlete, you're just overtired for 15 years of your life and it doesn't (laughs) matter. You you can still be the best in the world and be overtired. So, um, you know, not worry so much about when you, you know, you're setting exams or whatever the case is and you're overtired and you're having to study late at night time or whatever the case is doesn't matter. You can actually survive off very little sleep. It's not the best for you, but it, it actually doesn't matter. And there's going to be times when you, you have to push yourself beyond what a normal human can, can do. And I think I've taken that from my sporting days into the rest of the world that so what if I have a month that's just hugely stressful? I'll come around. It's survive. okay. <laughs> yeah, you survive. You do. And I think that's, that's the word. You do. You survive. You learn to survive through sport. I read somewhere that you had three kids. Mm-hmm. Have they all gone into sport? Are they are they following in your footsteps with hockey or are they doing something else? Yes, well, I married a footballer come cricketer. At this stage, he's an AFL coach. So two boys and a girl. The two boys were very confused, football, cricket and hockey growing up and ended up settling on soccer at various times. Right. So basically said no to both mum and dad and went their own way, which is just lovely. They both play sort of casual cricket, footy, those sort of things these days now. And the the daughter who's eighteen is a you know pseudo professional swimmer, so she's trying very hard to on the Olympic pathway as well. Doing stuff to stimulate your mind outside of sport are they things that you've passed on? As a parent, one thing you work out is that you're actually really terrible at parenting, <laughs> and the reason why I say that is because. I go fast, I go hard and all the rest of it. And unfortunately, I've taught the kids to be like that as well. And the good thing about it is that they learn to achieve. bad thing about it is that we all live this fired up, hard life. And I think looking back in hindsight now, the reason why I say things like be kind to yourself and relax through your journeys and all the rest of it is because there's times where, you know, all of us don't have to be going so hard and fast and bouncing off the wall. They've certainly picked up some of those traits, rightly or wrongly. Sally has written both some children's books and adult books, including I Want to Be a Footballer, I Want to Be an Olympian, and more recently, her Australian team series. Two of the books I've seen released are Teammates and Team Pursuits. I'll link the books in the show notes so everyone has a chance to go and buy them. But can you tell me what inspired you to become an author? The first one, um, I Want to Be an Olympian, was simply because um, I really believe in Australian culture and Australian sport, the two things together. And I you know, having little kids at the time, I've worked out that there was very little reading material about those two topics. You know, if you got those sort of books, they were probably more from the American market, for instance, and I just really wanted to infuse that Australian touch with it. So I wrote the first one purely for the subject matter. And around about that time, I was sent on a tour to regional Western Australia with an Aboriginal lady called Munya Andrews. She was an author as well and we spent a good week and a half with each other and we were out in you know, regional Western Australia with a lot of Aboriginal communities but also um, mixed with sort of populations in the bigger towns as well. So we were sort of exposed to both the teaching of reading, writing, discipline, the journey, sport, Australian culture, all those sort of things and she said to me, Sally, you're too disciplined. You've had a life of too much discipline. And what happens when you do that is that you lose your creativity. We're all born with a certain amount of creativity, but our modern life absolutely kills all our creativity. And it's like a muscle that you've had to build, Sally. You've been given creativity like a muscle. You've forgotten to work on it. 
And I have never forgotten that message. So yes, I run a business. Yes, I sit on four different boards. Yes, I'm a mum, I'm you know, work extremely hard and I'm an author and all the rest of it. But I keep saying to myself, keep working at my creativity because Munya mentioned it to me and it's so true. So writing to me is like a passion project. It's my way of saying, right, relax, enjoy it, touch base with my creative side and keep going, which is why I'm now up to nine books and I will try very hard not to stop writing for that reason. It sounds like you're, as an athlete, you had your your sport and then your mental simulation. It now seems like you've got your business and then you've also got that creative simulation. It's a nice little balance that you've got going. Balance. That's it. And that's out of interest is the name of the third book, Jamie, that you mentioned. Ah. Team Balance is the one I'm writing at the moment. And this is what it's all about. Trying to balance, even though you're trying to be hard at it and best in the world, somehow finding that balance. I think it's a challenging one. Mm. I'm very excited to read the book. Do you know when it's going to be released? Do you have a date yet? Well, quite interesting going through like this coronavirus era, you know, you read all about what's happening to us mentally and the first thing that goes is our creativity. We're all trying to survive and to survive it's sort of bricks and mortar. We're just doing one thing after the other and we can't dig down deep and read very well. We can't write very well. So I've struggled to write through this sort of last few months. So I would like to say that Team Balance is coming out at the end of this year, but I'd say it's probably going to be in early next year now. We can add that to the show notes when it's done. That's really exciting. Do you think you're going to keep writing after you've finished? uh, So it's a four-book series, I believe? It's a four-book series. And my mind, the way it is, very fast. uh, My mind's already in the fifth book and the sixth book and the seventh book, but it depends if the discipline side kicks in and I say, nah, four is it. Yeah. What was the transition like moving from kids' books to adult books? Was there What was the logic behind it? What was the reasoning? Well, probably because my kids grew up. That was the first thing. Secondly, I always had it in me, this adult series, and it's very similar to the kids' book in that it's fusing Australian culture and sport. This is the same thing, but it's just in the adult setting. But I have to warn you, Jamie, and the listeners that it is very naughty <laughs> you know we've had a naughty upbringing in sport that welcome to being a sports person down deep you, you have a pretty exciting life I suppose and I'm not saying these books are about my life but it's actually about um, sort of fighting with that naughtiness within which is makes you a really good sports person but you have to try and control it somehow to do the right thing in the sporting world so they're not kids books these adults yes. books <laughs> so you mentioned you were on a couple boards can you tell me a little bit about why you chose to be on some of those boards? So the Australian Sports Foundation, uh, St John Ambulance and Apollo Health, UWA Advisory Board. How did you get onto those boards? What was the decision behind joining yeah. those boards? Well, I think it's one of those careers that it picked me rather than I picked the career in this particular case. Because remember, you can be a board member as well as doing other things in life. It's a sort of a part-time role. Having said that, it's a very learned skill. You have to be quite academic. You have to put the effort in to um, be a professional board member. And I'm a fellow of the Australian Institute of Company Directors, which means I have done all the education behind it. So I'm a very learned company director. When I was 22, I was asked by the state government here in Western Australia to be on a board. And then as you go through that process, so now 30 years later, I've had to continually learn to be a good company director. Um, and you tend to sit on a board for about nine years, you, you know, three lots of three-year terms or something like that, depending on the governance structure. And then you sort of get headhunted to go onto another board and so forth. So it's one of those things I was enticed into it. 
But because of the personality that I am, I also want to be the best company director that I can be at the same time. What do you think some of the skills are that you've learnt since being a director over the past three yeah, years? Yeah, well, again, it's discipline and, you know, this theme's coming out, isn't it? That you've got to be pretty strong in which space you step into as a company director and when you don't step into it. So um, you've got to be pretty strict of not trying to do a CEO's role, for instance or an executive's role, you've got to stay into your space. It's like being on a particular field, on the hockey field, that's your role, you do it very well and you encourage other people to do their role very well. Help them out but you don't do their role for them. So it's all about discipline again. I think teamwork. Teamwork, yeah. Yeah, your sporting career definitely came in handy. Yeah. All right, well, got a lot of athletes that look up to you. I would say you've got a lot of companies and directors that look up to you on your experience as well. Do you have any advice that you've received as an athlete that you still carry with you today? Yeah, look, probably heaps, like heaps of advice, but being a sort of an inward thinker and someone who, as I've mentioned before, is probably quite self-critical, I think most of my learning has come from my own experience. So there's not necessarily words or things that people have said to me. I probably get it more... um, by osmosis, um, you know, with different people around. But when I was a young athlete growing up, I really admired Steffi Graf. And I didn't get to meet Steffi, but um, I just really liked the way she went about it. And that was not too much fuss, not too much emotion. You know, she was, you know, the world's number one tennis player at the time when, you know, we were stepping into the space of being world's number one. And I just liked the way she held herself and just kept herself in check. And again, very disciplined. She was physically stronger and better than anybody else. So I tend to take things from watching and learning off others as opposed to words of wisdom. I have one last question I ask all the guests. So what's next? What's (laughs) next for you? What's next immediately, like right now, I've always been extremely fit and I'd pull my inspiration out of being fit and bubbly and energetic. And I'd have to say that I have been way too lazy for the last three years. So what's next for me, and this has come out of, you know, coronavirus, reevaluate yourself. I'm going to get really fit again. And in fact, I'm four weeks into it. So I'm a little bit sore sitting here right now. So <laughs> I'm trying really hard to get fit because I think it's the fitness that inspires your what's next. And being really upbeat and interesting and inspired and the faster you are in life, the faster you're going to be. So the immediate what next is to get back into that state of you know real high level energy. I've got these next two books to write, there's no doubt about it. Business, we've all got to recalibrate our businesses that we all run and you know get that back in and perhaps take a few right angles with that. And of course, I've got kids who are at the age of 23, 21 and 18. And so we've got a big what's next. It's a what's next for Michael and I in our life as well. That It's all good. There's some really good things out there. Really exciting. You've yeah. got a few exciting things coming up. Yeah. When you say you are getting into exercise, what's the exercise of choice now? Go into gym, but sort of cross-training with big teams of people, not sort of individual work because that's not for me. So I'm doing that. I, I try and swim all the time, just about every day, even in the backyard pool, not heated because I find that really inspiring. Ooh, yep. <laughs> I'm one of those ones. I would really like to get back and do bar, you know, the sort of all ballet exercise sessions. So that's all on the agenda for me. We'll finish it up there. I am so grateful that you could join. I think it's a really exciting episode. 
If you liked what you heard today on So What's Next and want to listen to more episodes just like Sally's inspiring story, please hit like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher.